This morning's scripture reading will be from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. It is good to see each of you this morning. Glad you're here, able to be out with us, especially if you're visiting. We're glad that you're here. We look forward to you coming back and being with us at any opportunity that you have and can do that. Have you ever felt like the weight of the world was upon your shoulders? Have you ever felt like you were under pressure and and there was really no outlet for that? As we look throughout the history of the world and we look look throughout the history of the church, we see that there have been Christian fathers who have realized the great and awesome responsibility that is uh, placed upon them by God and sometimes they wonder if they can do that properly. We see that there are Christian mothers with whom we, we live around and of whom we know and, and they see that uh, and realize the pressures of having new babies, of rearing toddlers and sometimes having to deal with uh, obstinate teenagers. And these mothers often look at the scenarios in which they find themselves and they may even question their own abilities and their abilities to continue we know preachers who, those who take their work very seriously and, and they determine to do those things that God has asked them to do, they begin to doubt their abilities and whether they're making a difference in, in the world, within the congregation or the communities wherein they live. Sometimes they begin to tire from the great blessing of preaching the gospel of the, uh, to the world. We know that there are godly elders who become weary for watching after the, the souls of others, leadership, uh, men of leadership, when uh, there are congregations that do not have elders, they become weary of those things, of, of making sure that the congregation is fed, of guarding, of teaching, of protecting, and yes, from time to time having to discipline members. We also know that there are sincere Christians who look at their constantly growing to-do list and, and they wonder, can I, can I handle my family, my work, my household? Can we continue to juggle the things of this life and still be what God wants us to be? Am I able to do that? All of us feel that pressure. And it seems that that is the pressure that, that falls to the lot of humanity. That we all have that at least from time to time. Understanding all of that and looking at the 
life of Moses, we can sympathize with him, can't we? We can come to understand, at least in some small way, the pressures that he felt and the stress that must have filled his life because we have some of those same stresses. As an 80-year-old man, he was charged with leading Israel out of Egypt, delivering them from the bondage of the Egyptian taskmasters into a land that would flow with milk and honey. He was facing the difficulties of leadership throughout the last 40 years of his life. We're talking about a man who had already lived for 80 years upon this earth and he had a very difficult 40 more years to go. We can see within the inspired text that he often felt overwhelmed with that duty. In fact, there were times when he almost cracked under the pressure and in fact, He did crack from time to time, didn't he? Numbers 20, verses 10 and 11. Even Moses failed God on occasion. When we look at this, and as we study this this morning, we want to learn some things from Moses. We want to be able to look at what Moses did that would allow him to keep his heavy hands lifted high in the air to do the will of God. I want us to be able to make some modern day application to our own lives so that we can understand in the 21st century exactly what Moses did and what he accepted that caused him to be able to face his struggles, to face and be able to balance his success and his leadership and his pressure. And I want us to be able to be able to do that same thing in our own lives, to look at those things and allow us to be able to balance each one of those things also. And yes, we need to balance being weary sometimes. Perhaps the greatest reason for Moses' weariness was the people depended upon him. They depended upon Moses for every single thing. After all, he was their connection to God, right? They depended upon Moses. Israel's first battle when they left Egypt was with Amalek. They came against the Amalekites. They were a vicious people. They were a warring people. And they picked a fight with God's people. We see that they are the descendants of Esau. And they were a constant reminder of the conflict and the squabble between Esau and his younger brother Jacob. That's who these people were. They were in fact brethren to the Israelites. Yet they didn't want to be brethren. We see that same conflict that started with Esau and Jacob and it continued all the way down through the history of those people. Now there are a few details within Scripture about this great battle, but I believe the emphasis is that God will deliver victory to us. God is in control. Notice what Moses did. He took the rod of God, he went up on the mountain and he stood above the battle as it waged. When Moses raised his hands and the rod of God, the Israelites prevailed. Joshua prevailed in the fight when he lowered his arms, when he lowered the rod of God. Then Israel would be overcome and Amalekites would prevail. Can you imagine standing on that hillside or that mountain or whatever it was, 
having to hold a wooden rod over your head all day long. I don't know how much that rod weighed. Couldn't have weighed a whole lot, a piece of wood. But I imagine by the end of that day, it was really heavy. I remember a friend of mine who had joined the Navy, and he was telling me while he was in boot camp that one of his... uh, fellow recruits had done something that had irritated the company commander and so he was being punished. And so he gave this young man a pencil and he stuck it between his two forefingers and he told him to hold it out straight in front of him just like this. A pencil. Pencils do not weigh very much. But he stood out for hours doing that. He said by the time that the company commander told him he could put the pencil down, he said the pencil was all the way up to here because he just simply could not hold it up any longer. This became a great burden for Moses as he stood on that mountain and he looked down upon that battle and it was so harsh for him that he had to have two of his close friends, Aaron and Hur, hold up his arms so the battle could be won. They brought a stone for Moses to sit on. They held up his hands until sunset. Consequently, Israel was victorious against the Amalekites, Exodus 17, 12 and 13. So what's the application today? What do we learn from Moses and his two friends? Do the responsibilities of Christianity, of parenthood, of work, and any number of things make us weary in this life? Sure they do. Absolutely that's the case. Does the fact that Someone is looking to you for guidance, make it any easier? No, it makes it harder, doesn't it? What if you, what if Moses had not had Aaron in her? What do we do if we do not have an Aaron and a her to stand beside us to help us hold up our hands? Do we just quit? What was Moses supposed to do if he had not had Aaron and her beside him, was Israel just to be defeated and completely annihilated from the earth and no possible way for the Messiah to come through that lineage? Is that what Moses was supposed to have done? Of course that's not what he was supposed to have done. Fortunately for Aaron and because of God's good grace, or Moses, he had Aaron and her. Sometimes we don't have an Aaron or a her. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, we keep on going anyway, don't we? Notice what the writer of Hebrews promised as he recorded this for us. Hebrews 13 verse 5. He said, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God will never allow us to face a trial that we cannot overcome. He simply will not allow it to happen. Paul encouraged the Corinthians saying, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The weariness of having a nation looking to you for all things must have been a terrible burden for Moses to have borne. But he did bear it. But that wasn't the only reason that he was weary because of the great 
burden of dependency that was placed upon him, he was also weary because his time was deficient. Can we identify with that? Do we have all the time that we need in this world to get things accomplished that we need to accomplish? No, we're always running late. It seems to me when I'm going somewhere, I'm always running late or I'm in a hurry or I need to be somewhere else when I'm not there yet. And that's not peculiar to me. That's all of us. That's all of us, right? Like most of us today, Moses had committed himself to more responsibility than he could fulfill. Being tasked with leading such a great number of people can often, no doubt, become unmanageable. Think about it. One of the main reasons that this became unmanageable for Moses was he tried to handle every single individual problem that took place amongst these two and a half million people or so. Moses found himself spending a great majority of his time judging conflicts between people and having to deal with instances of insignificant matters. Exodus 8, uh, 18 verse 14, or 18 verse 13. And so we understand that there's little wonder why he became weary. I want us to notice, though, what his father-in-law said to him. His father-in-law saw what was going on, and he said to him, Moses, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? I think that was a rhetorical question. I think Moses understood very well what he was doing for the people. I think he understood very well that he was spending a vast majority of his time listening to fusses and fightings and things of that nature, having to determine who was right and who was wrong or or why they were both wrong or whatever the case may have been. He says, "What what is it that you're doing with these people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? What's the answer to that, Moses? He didn't have an answer. There is no answer to that. He said, Moses, why are you doing that for these people? Why are you doing it all by yourself? Obviously, he was speaking from the vantage point of wisdom and age, and he understood where Moses was slipping up, a young man of 80. He wasn't listening to those who he needed to listen to. He said, the thing you do, is not good. He said, both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this is too much for you. You're not able to perform it by yourself. Exodus 18, 17 through 18. What words of wisdom. How many of us in our daily lives pile upon ourselves things that there is no way we can accomplish on our own. We do it every day. We need to learn to do better. What did his father-in-law do? Well, he suggested a hierarchical approach to the problem, and it is still seen in the world today. Legal issues were assigned to different men of varying capability. Jethro told Moses this. He said, Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. He said, Stand before God, for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and 
the work they must do. He said, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, those such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you. But every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. Can you imagine how much easier Moses' life became after that moment? Instead of having to deal with the tens and the hundreds and the thousands, he only had to handle the great and heavy matters that were brought to him. A group of our young people met yesterday and we did some, some yard work for one of a, uh, a member's shut-in. And uh, we really helped each other. And we noticed that one person can't do it by themselves. And so we had a, had a pretty good crew of young people and we were trimming trees and cutting grass and raking leaves and piling brush and, and things of that nature. In a very small way, I think I can appreciate the advice that Moses was given. I think I can appreciate a little greater Aaron and her after having just done this small deed that we did yesterday. Well, while we were trimming these shrubs and things of that nature, I meant to bring my chainsaw and I had forgotten it at home. And so we had a pair of trimmers that you used by hand and we had a whole lot of trimming to do. And so we did a great majority of that or probably about half of that trimming with these, this one pair of trimmers. Well, as time went on, uh, Brother Jeff had some things to do that morning, but then he came, and guess what he brought with him? He brought with him a trimmer that operated with a motor on it. I was never so happy in my life as to see a trimmer that you pulled a cord and it started up. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have to do this. All you had to do was hold it up. But guess what? That thing was pretty heavy. And so as you were reaching out and you were trimming, you would, maybe the hedges we were trimming started out high on one end and they kind of got maybe a little low as we got toward the end because it was heavy. And we needed to be able to have our hands lifted up. So guess what we did? We took turns doing that. We took turns doing that. We allowed other people to carry on the work instead of just one person doing it. And there's something else that we that we noticed as we were talking with uh, the, the young people, we explained to them we could adjust that trimmer in such a way to where you didn't have to bend so much or do this or that. And we made the statement, let the tools do the work for you. Well, that's, there's a lot to that statement, isn't there? Let those who are able to help you help you, right? That's what was happening in Moses' life. He was trying to do it all by himself. And Jethro said, let those who can help you, help you. Let the tools do the work, in other words, right? And that's what we see here. Like many of us today, Moses' hands became heavy because of this great burden that he carried. The whole of Israel depended upon him for everything. Again, he was their connection to God. 
He was deficient in the amount of time that he had to carry out these things because he had overcommitted himself. But I want us to notice there's another underlying problem that made this burden great and made him weary. He, at times, had diminished patience. Can we understand that? Sure we can. We all understand how one's patience can grow short. How we can be able to endure something this day and maybe not be able to endure the same thing on another day. Years later, Moses explained the origin of the legal system that he had put into place at the advice of Jethro to the new generations of Israelites that came along. That's found in Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 16. And in his explanation, he talked about how his tolerance had become diminished because of the great burden placed upon him and and he, his patience was, was not what it needed to be. He said this, he said, And I spake unto you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are. And bless you as he hath promised you. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife. Specifically in that passage, I think that Moses was talking about the legal issues that were coming and being brought to him and the problems that were existing amongst the people at that time. But there must have also been something else. There must have been a common lack of gratitude for Moses. And I think that probably weighed upon him also. And I think it helped to create frustration in his life. When people are constantly complaining and and being belligerent or whatever the case may be about their circumstances, it can weigh upon someone, can't it? And I think that weighed upon Moses. The Israelites had to establish, or they had established a pattern of murmuring, hadn't they? As they came out of Egypt and, and they were on the cusp of going into the promised land and they decided that they weren't able to do that or that God wasn't able to deliver them and they went back out into the wilderness, they established this pattern of murmuring. Notice what some of the things they did. Exodus 5.21 Before they ever left, their workload was greater than they could bear. When they approached the Red Sea, they groaned again, saying, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not the the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They complained at Marah, Exodus 15, verse 24, because the water was bitter. They became hungry and murmured about the good food that they had been fed in Egypt, Exodus 16.23, or Exodus 16.3. Again, they complained about the water in Rephidim, chapter 17, verse 3. It wasn't good enough. And just when they could have taken the promised land, they bemoaned Moses for dragging them out into the wilderness, Numbers 14.2-3. I believe as we read their account and we look at their history, there were some ten times that these people murmured against Moses. And when we consider the nature of his task and the habits of the people, 
I think it is clear and remarkable that Moses didn't completely succumb to the pressures that was placed upon him. Though we'll never assume a leadership in the same way that Moses has or did, I think we can still feel many of these same pressures today. I believe that happens in all of our lives. So what's the application of this point? Well, may we never be like the murmuring Israelites as they fought against Moses, fought against the one that was trying to help them. And it wasn't really Moses against whom they were fighting, was it? They were fighting against God. Moses happened to be a tool that God used in delivering the people. How does all that help us today? Well, knowing what Moses endured and knowing that he overcame can help us do the same things. It must be of great importance. In our lives today, our hands grow heavy. They grow weary. It's as if we can't lift them above our heads sometimes because of the great responsibilities, and sometimes we wane. It's not a surprise. In fact, it's understandable that we often become fatigued in this life, isn't it? Whether through physical or emotional stress, each of us deals with criticisms from people that we try to help. Preacher sermons, visitation frequencies, personality conflicts, that's all a part of it. Elders' decisions to uh, uh, may evoke skepticism or, or congregational leadership may evoke skepticism that perhaps they haven't made the correct decision and we can never completely satisfy everyone. When elders are in place and when we have deacons, there sometimes their work is questioned whether they're doing it correctly or not or whether they even need to be doing that work. Christian parents will be criticized often for being too strict or too permissive. We, we see no end to it often. In other words, each of us will face some type of stress and trial in this life from other Christians, not just from those in the world. See, that's what was happening to Moses, wasn't it? He wasn't being attacked by people outside of God's people. He was being attacked by God's people. And that made him weary. And from time to time he did wane. But I think we can find comfort in the fact that none of those situations are new, are they? No, we we can't say that we're facing anything that hasn't been faced before. What about Paul? When we look in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, we see that Paul was attacked at every opportunity. He was criticized by his enemies. They said that his letters were were weighty and powerful, but his bodily appearance was weak and he just simply wasn't a good speaker. So they they attacked him at every opportunity. The the Pharisees castigated the Lord for associating with tax collectors and and sinners, Matthew 9, verse 11. Can't believe you'd do that. Can't believe you would meet with those sinners. They called him a glutton and a wine-bibber, Matthew 11, 19. And they even referred to him as illegitimate. They questioned his birth. We see that in John 8, 41. So how do we deal with those stresses in life? How do we keep from waning when those things arise? 
Well, I think first of all we must evaluate the accuracy of the criticism, right? Not all criticism is bad. And not all criticism is wrong. Much of it is legitimate and it should be taken seriously. We need to look at it. We need to understand if what's being said is in fact the truth. We need to be reminded that we can make mistakes, but that we can also change. And that we can do better. And that we can be what God wants us to be. When unfair and unkind criticism comes our way, we can do one of two things. And I think, depending on the situation, either can be right. We can address it, or we can simply ignore it. God, or Jesus didn't answer every single little criticism that came His way. Sometimes He simply ignored it. Sometimes He addressed it. Our hands can become weary and fatigue when, when we overschedule our time. Maybe we need to take care of our schedule a little better. Maybe we need to prioritize. Sometimes we neglect the spiritual and we favor the physical. We need to be involved in daily Bible study. That's what Paul said, 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to be engaged in daily prayer. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Sometimes we feel it is unchristian-like to say no to something, don't we? It's okay that we don't drive across town for every single vacation Bible school that is scheduled. And we can also not have to go to every single baseball game or soccer game that is scheduled either. And sometimes mothers and fathers need to spend time at home if they're going to be good mothers and fathers. When our heads become heavy and we begin to wane, it is a good idea in the 21st century, just as it was in the time of Moses, for us to find a 21st century Jethro and follow his advice. See, I think at the root of his advice, Jethro said, you're not managing your time properly. You're not taking care of what you need to take care of. Maybe we need to reevaluate our time. We might need to cancel the gym membership, or we might need to exercise at home. We may not need the brand new car. Maybe all the overtime isn't necessary. We need to prioritize what we're doing. But often our hardest choice isn't necessarily between good and bad, it's between good and better. We might ought to think of it that way. When the apostles led the church to appoint seven servants, it allowed them to spend more time in prayer and in the ministry of the Word, Acts 6 verse 4. And I think it is wise for leadership to delegate. And that's what we ought to do. And then people can focus on the things they need to focus upon. In the case of an eldership, then they can focus on the pastoral work that comes with that, Acts 20, 28 through 31. I wonder what Jethro might tell each of us. Are we handling our time properly? Or are we mismanaging it? Finally, I think it's very important to have a friend when our hands grow weary. Moses had that. I think the main point of the account of Israel's victory over, Amale- over the Amalekites is that God will give victory, but it is impossible to miss that there was an Aaron and a her standing beside Moses all day long. Do you think those two men might have had something they would have rather been doing? I imagine so. I think they could have been doing something else, but because of their great love and friendship for Moses, they were there for him.
I think each of us shares this need. We read about Barnabas in the New Testament, Acts 9, 26 through 27. Didn't God use him when Paul began his ministry? Everyone else was afraid of him. But there was a Barnabas there for Paul, much like there was an Aaron and a Hur for Moses. We have a great list of handholders in the New Testament. You recall the names Phoebe, Aquila and Priscilla, Timothy, Onesimus, John Mark, and the list goes on and on. And the wise man, uh, the, the great king and the wise man Solomon said, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. In the life of every person, we can probably find an Aaron, a Hur, a Barnabas. We can find someone that can be a friend to us. We can find someone that can help us to raise our hands and lift our hands even when they become so tired that we simply want to stop. But we can't. We can't stop. Jesus said He'd always be with us and that He would never forsake us. We need to ask ourselves, who's that person in my life? And when we answer that, we need to go thank them for being that person. But there's something else too. We need to look around and we need to find someone else whose hands we can lift. We should never be the one always having our hands lifted. We need to help others lift their hands. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that means we're being who we need to be. Moses faced so many great difficulties in his life, especially those 40 years of walking through the wilderness. Because of his imperfections, or despite of his imperfections, he encourages each of us today to do that same thing. And I think that we can. We can endure the stress of this life even when our hands get heavy. If you've never obeyed the gospel of our Lord today, your hands are heavy. You've got a lot of burden on you. Jesus said, Come unto me all ye who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are you heavy laden with in that statement? Sin. We can overcome the burden of sin. We can have someone to help us lift our hands high, and that someone is Jesus. He'll take those sins away. He'll do it through faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins. You'll come up out of that water with your hands lifted high, and He will never leave you or forsake you. Sometimes we step out of the light and we allow the burdens of this life to cause us to drop our hands. We need to raise them back up. We do that through repentance and confession and prayer. If you find yourself in need to have your hands lifted this day, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.